Welcome to Nomad Yarners, the yarn truck podcast. We're Erica and Dave, a husband and wife mobile yarn shop owners, bringing you tales from the road, adventures in fiber arts with a little bit of the rest of life thrown in. This is episode 81, recorded the week of June 10th, 2019. Today's segments include What You Working On, Colorful Puddles, Witty Knits Sponsored Pattern Mashup, and Where's Nomads. Sit back, get comfy, and enjoy the show. So Erica, what have you been working on this week? I feel like this week I have been working on tons of stuff, but very little of it is knitting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the knitting, I continue to work on the one thing that I have been working on with knitting for the last month, um, the bright orange alpaca shawl. It's my original design. It's a center out rectangle um, with three different uh, kind of lace sections to it um, out of Dave's hand dyed yarn. And that will be our next release um, of our yarn and pattern and kit and all that jazz. I might slip a yarn in and in between. We'll see. Yeah, I don't, he's he may be dying that this afternoon. <laughs> um, and so it's not all that exciting to work on. It's getting or to talk about. I am really enjoying working on it. It's getting fairly large. Um, it just it takes a while, and it's I'm on a deadline, so I'm not doing anything else. Um, with I am doing quite a bit of spinning. I've caught the spinning bug. I forget why I even pulled out my spinning wheel. Oh, I bought um, I bought a tiny little like one and a half ounce bat at the uh, Kentucky Sheep and Fiber Fest a couple of weeks ago, and I really wanted to spin it. So I pulled my spinning wheel out, and I I have a traveling wheel, and I had folded it up and put it in its travel case and put it in the back of the sewing room kind of a thing I hadn't spun in a year or more um, but I pulled it out to spin up this little tiny bat and Eric I was making that sound like a massive chore and it really was it's, like yeah, it's like five minutes <laughs> <laughs> um, unearthing it out of the mess that is our crafting space was the longest part of that for sure um, but I enjoyed spinning so much that I've been doing a lot of spinning since then um, I uh, I pulled out when I finished that little bat when I finished that little bat I remembered I had some teeny tiny adorable little poonies which are kind of like a roll leg they look like little cigars um, of a wool breed that I had not spun before called Lincoln long wool which is a coarser wool um, not necessarily a next to skin soft but more of like a jacket um, or uh, like the body of a hat, something that's not necessarily going to be touching um, touching your face or your neck. Um, and I just really wanted to spin these interesting looking um, little uh, little pieces. And again, it was less than two ounces, this uh, the fiber that I had. Um, so I played with that one. And then uh, just yesterday was our um, Hoosier Hills Fiber Fest in Franklin, Indiana. Um, and I bought myself three four-ounce braids. Um, of sheep breeds that I have never used before. Again, all in that coarser family. Um, I have Texel, which I've never even heard of. Um, Finn, which I have heard of, but I hadn't ever used before. And then Gotland, which I had never heard of, but apparently is big because that's what they made the cloaks on the Game of Thrones out of. Or so said the the uh, guy who did the dyeing at the booth. <laughs> um, 
And I got these braids in coordinating colors that uh, didn't match each other, but they, um, I got one that was like sort of purples and pinks, ones that were purples and blue and ones that were like pinks and blues. Um, and I plan to make a three ply yarn um, and plan, um, maybe not the best word because I'm holding a skein of it in my hand right now. <laughs> I um, got it's a very small skein. It is. I got home the night that night after the show was over, and I was so excited. I spun like a little half ounce amount of each of the three um, to play with them and plied them together. And I love them. I love the way that it's working. Um, I have one that's really, really dark blue, and that almost like black, um, and that kind of tones down the like Barbie Dream fleece color, um, which I like, but I know is not a color that I'm going to wear. The like neon pinks and purples. Um, so it makes it look a little bit more like something that would fit into my wardrobe. Um, but I've really enjoyed spinning that and I'm looking forward to, that is going to be my Tour de Fleece project this year, which is a, an online spinning community kind of event, uh, mostly hosted on Ravelry. There's a group for the Tour de Fleece and then there's a lot of, of spinoff groups. Uh, ha, ha. Um, that, um, that participate as well. I will either do just the basic um, Ravelry Tour de Fleece group, or I've done uh, Team Sasquatch, which is kind of all of the podcasters uh, go in together on that, because I, I used to listen to a lot of knitting podcasts. I don't so much anymore, but I am a, a an avid, every single episode they've ever put out, Knit More Girls podcast listener. And several of those knitting podcasts have just ended gone away People right but things. but a million new ones have started That's there true. are there are a crazy number of i'm sure amazing um, knitting and crocheting and spinning and weaving podcasts out there um i i just i have less hours and brain cells to um to listen to to anything other than reruns of friends which is about the only thing i have the brain space for at the moment um but I will, I, I may do the Team Sasquatch uh, Tour de Fleece thing. Uh, but anyways, the idea is you set yourself a goal to spend some amount um, during each day that the Tour de France riders ride their bikes. Um, and some people like me, their goal will be to spend any amount, um, one single yard on their, um, on their spinning wheel counts as a success for the day. And then some people set a certain, um, like yardage that they want to make, or they want to spin a certain amount of fiber, um, each day or total for the, it's like a two and a half week, three weeks, something like that. Um, however long the bike ride is, uh, you can tell I'm not an avid sports, uh, fanatic, uh, with that, but that is what I'm going to try to save this until um, that event, which starts in early July. Uh, so it's not all that long. Um, and I do have just a little bit of other fiber that I could spin in the meantime if I'm excited about it. Um, but I have finished plying the Lincoln Long Wool, the little punies, and it's a white, a bright pink, and a teal. Um, in, in it, when I spun it, it made stripes. Um, and I applied it with a commercial lace weight yarn in the same sort of pinky peach color that uh, that was in the that was in the fiber. Um, and I did a three ply, two plies of the commercial lace weight and one ply of my my hand spun. That lace weight yarn 
I bought, I can't even remember how long ago. It's a long, it was a long time ago and I'd long since lost the ball band. So I have no idea what fiber content it is. Um, it felt a little coarser than it wasn't like a Merino and silk blend. Um, it felt like it might be one that made me a little bit itchy and I'm just not in the place right now to be knitting with a lace weight yarn. Um, I, it will be years before I am back uh, to wanting to put that many hours into something, um, and to be able to wear something that's delicate like that, just with the, with the toddler situation. <laughs> um, and so I knew I wasn't going to use it. It had also been a little mangled. It had been hand wound into a ball and then I tried to wind it on a ball winder, but it was a, it was kind of a, an evil ball winder that ate skeins of yarn. And so it, this this poor abused ball of yarn needed some help and it was almost to the point of like do I just throw this away um rather than try to figure out how to repair all of the breaks that I had put in it from um from winding it up uh, but I saved it and it's it is part of a new one I might be weaving with the pink blue and white skein um I might my vision is I will warp with the hand spun, Dave pointed out it's a little lumpy bumpy. It may not be happy as a warp. Um, if you're not a weaver, the warp is the part that goes long ways and you have to pull it through the little holes on your loom. Um, if your yarn has bumps in it, it doesn't go through the holes very well. Um, so this may end up being the weft, uh, but doing uh, doing the other one as the sort of tealy blue color, because that is my favorite color, um, but weaving some fabric out of this and then felting the fabric, um, like sending it through the washer and dryer a couple of times, um, and then using that fabric to sew a coat for Poppy, the three and a half year old. Um, I've made her a coat two years ago that she wore both years because she never grows, um, but I would like to make her a special coat to wear for the next few years. So that's my vision for that spinning project. Um, I think it's pretty. You're still unconvinced. Yeah, the, I'm not a super pink person. I don't hate pink, but I don't. It's not a color I gravitate towards at all. I would uh, definitely call that kind of peach. It's not really super smack you in the eye pink. It's not neon pink. I like neon pink better than the sort of softer rose kind of colors. Part of it is a bit of a hang up because it's hard to buy kids, girl kids clothes that aren't pink or have no pink on them. And so part of it is like a rebellious streak. Um, so we'll, we'll But see. you're making it for Poppy and despite giving her all the clothes that don't have pink on, she always picks the pink ones. She, yeah, she does. Um, society. Or she is her own person and she truly likes the color. Either way, um, there's more pink in this house than there used to be. Uh, we have also been in the garden, although it has been either stupid hot or raining. Um, so we haven't been in the garden tons. We have picked a bowl full of strawberries from our strawberry plants that we planted brand new this spring. So I didn't know that we would get any this year. So it was exciting. Um, they were delicious and Poppy very sweetly saved some for me and managed to keep her brother away from them. Yeah. A lot of shouting at him. There, there was some <laughs> shouting, um, but they were very tasty, the strawberries. Um, we've also gotten radishes. We've got lots of fruit on our fruit bushes and trees. We have um, we have raspberry bushes, blackberry bushes, blueberry bushes, grapes, um, and then we have every kind of fruit tree that will grow in our zone. Um, so we have apples and pears and peaches and cherries and plums. 
and apricots. No, the apricots kept dying. Um, we also have a hazelnut, but that's not a fruit. Um, and at least the apples and the cherries seem to have a lot of fruit this year. I have not spotted any pears or peaches. So there's, there's pears on the old um, on yeah. the old pear tree, the established one. Yes. Um, yeah, they don't appear to be any pears or peaches this year, but the, the trees are still pretty young. So. We planted all these trees five years ago when we moved into the house. It may have only been four years. Four um, years ago, I think. And so we're kind of on the cusp of they're old enough to really start producing. Because you do get fruit a little bit earlier than that, but not very much on the younger trees. I think we got two peaches last year. Yep. Um, but those are the best tasting peaches ever. <laughs> Uh, so we have 21 fruit trees in the orchard that we planted. And then we have our our home is in an old house with very well-established, like 200-year-old trees on it. So we have pears and persimmons um, and mulberries, but I can't be bothered to pick mulberries. Um, I used to be very excited as a child to pick mulberries off the mulberry trees at my parents' house, but these are just wild mulberry trees. They're not cultivated to be nice tasting, and so you can eat them. They don't taste bad. They don't really taste like anything. They kind of taste like water. Um, and so I'm just, my life is too short now. I have enough other things that I want to do to pick um, watery tasting fruit. Uh, we also, I started a needlepoint project um, because I signed myself up to teach a needlepoint class in the fall and I've never done needlepoint. So I probably should know how to do it before I try to teach other people. Um, and I am making as my practice piece, we, uh, we sent our kiddos go two days a week to a childminder who lives just down the road from us. We walk them over there every day. Um, and she's just, she's been great and the kids absolutely love her. But at the end of this month will be the end of the time that she's got, um, spaces for them. And so I wanted to give her a, a handmade gift to show that she's the only one other than my parents who has ever watched our kids. Um, and she has, she other, decorates. Other than the teenage babysitters this week. Yeah, that's true. They did stay. <laughs> we left both of our children with two teenage girls all day, like 12 hours straight, so that we, Dave and I both were working at the Hoosier Hills Fiber Event. Dave taught classes all day long, and I needed to be minding the truck. Um, and everybody survived. It, I think the girls even had a pretty good time. Um, I think it turns out you probably have more energy when you're 14 <laughs> than when you're 34. You haven't been worn down by four years of pregnancy years and of... looking up to a baby and toddler. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, she has a collection. Our childminder has a collection of the um, the first letter of her last name. She has all kinds of different, like sewn and metal and all kinds of different of those letters um, in a collage on her wall. So I thought I would needlepoint her one and practice my needlepoint skills at the same time. Um, and I kind of have a different philosophy on gifts than a lot of people do. I know a lot of people feel like they need it to be absolutely perfect with no flaws at all before they give it to someone. Um, I feel like if I'm giving it away, then I won't be looking at the flaws anymore. And so they matter. <laughs> if you ever receive a gift from me, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it was unfunctional in some way, I, I wouldn't gift it. But um, slight flaws make it handmade. Um, and to me, it's more the thought that counts. So if they hate it, I, they can throw it away. That won't hurt my feelings. Just don't tell me that you did it. <laughs> and it's fine. So we both went. What uh, if you think it looks a bit rubbish? Is that still okay to give away? <laughs> it, 
it depends. I mean, there's certainly a level at which I wouldn't give it away, but the, at that level, I wouldn't finish it. Like if it if it was so rough that I it, just, it was awful, I I wouldn't ever finish it to the point of of gifting it. Um, so I'm sure there is a point uh, that I I wouldn't gift. Um, I also I mean not to be overly like pat myself on the back, but I've been doing needle crafts for a very very long time, um, and I tend to even when I'm branching out to a craft or a technique that I haven't done before, I don't tend to be awful at them just because I've been manipulating sticks and string for such a long time um, that I don't know. Also, I'm not real arty, so things may be uglier than I realize, and I just don't notice. Do you need me to get me some like ibuprofen or something? Your head's looking a bit swollen. <laughs> anyway, um, we also we mailed out our second Kickstarter kit. Hooray! Thank you, Kickstarter backers, for being patient. We were only one week late this time. We were two weeks late with our first one. We were two days late, and that was mostly because it was the weekend. Okay. <laughs> Um, so our Afterthought Everything Sock kits have mailed to our Kickstarter backers. The yarn and kits were available for purchase on the truck over the weekend at the Hoosier Hills Fiber Fest, and we will get them up on the online store and have them at the rest of our stops before you hear this podcast. Um, so we're, we're excited. It is a fun yarn and all that jazz. And we're going to talk more about that in later segments. Um, I also am, I'm pondering sewing. I haven't done any sewing, um, but I bought some fabric to make myself a couple of skirts, um, at Recraft the last time I was there. Um, and then I just bought a book at Half Price Books the last time we went as a family called So What? Skirts. Um, and I plan to make myself a couple of different style skirts. I mostly got the fabric to use as a muslin. I'm not positive the fiber content. It is probably mostly a polyester, which I don't tend to wear very much. I just get hot and sticky. Um, but I thought the fabric was really fun and I thought I could make myself a couple of different styles and work out the kinks of a pattern, um, wear it a few times and then donate them to somebody else who, um, who doesn't get quite as hot as I do. Uh, we also made paint with the kids. I said it because it's in my notes. Um, and it's craft adjacent. Uh, our children both really like to paint, but uh, Poppy's only thing that she likes to do with paint is to squeeze the paint out onto her palette. She doesn't need paper because she doesn't ever paint with the paint. She just likes to squeeze it out. Um, it drives Dave nuts. <laughs> yes. As someone who does a lot of painting and even had this problem as a kid watching other children, I just, I can't stand it. I have to leave the room when Poppy's painting. <laughs> so uh, since she used up all of the paint that she got for Christmas, which to be fair, it took her six months of squeezing paint out onto her palette. And we paint multiple times a week. It took her six months to get through all the, all the bottles of it. Um, but I decided to make paint. And so I looked it up on the internet because the internet knows everything and equal par parts, water, flour, and salt, and then add food coloring, um, until it's the color that you want it. And it was it was a fun little project to ha have them help like mix up and make. And then I think Dave feels less stressed when she squeezes it everywhere. And it still drives me crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's but, less the waste; it's more the fact that she's just squeezing them out on the palette and mixing them together. 
but it was kind of a fun, um, it was kind of a fun adventure. And they, they played with it a lot with the babysitters because our entire island was covered in little dabs of gritty, salty paint <laughs> when we got home, um, which is fine. It wipes up. So Dave, what have you been working on? Well, I kind of feel a little bit like you've stolen some of my thunder. I've been working in the garden to help me making paint to start. <laughs> um, but I did manage to, uh, my biggest achievement of the summer so far, mow the entire lawn in one go. It's been so rainy here that um, with a three-acre lawn, it takes a while to to cut it all in one shot. So I've been doing half an hour here, half an hour there. The other day, I managed to do the whole lot in one shot, which is uh, satisfying. I like being out on the mower when it's nice weather. Um, it looks so neat and tidy when you're done. It's like the best instant gratification <laughs> project ever. Um, I've been working down in the dye studio, same as normal. Um, mostly this week it was just winding up and labeling all the skeins um, for our Kickstarter backers um, and getting those out and then the new skeins on the truck. Um, we put out a lot of the sock yarn and we are nearly sold out of some of the colorways already. So I'm going to be frantically dyeing some more of those colorways this afternoon so we can get them out for this weekend when we'll be at the Indiana Handicraft Exchange. Um, I've also been uh, designing the colorways um, for my dip and speckle yarn, finishing kind of the ideas for those. Um, I'm hoping to dye some of those today as well when I'm um, in between dyeing some more of the sock yarn. So I have some really cool ideas for some really interesting contrasts. That technique is going to be able to let me do some things that are more difficult with other techniques simply because the speckles and the main color dip are going to kind of be separated. Um, so I can go with some really kind of wildly contrasting colors without worrying about it getting muddy or losing the purity of color. So that will be really interesting. Um, I've also, as Erica mentioned, been teaching dyeing. Um, so I always teach every year at the Hoosier Hill Fiber Festivals uh, over in Franklin. And that's always popular. I had uh, 17 students this year over my three classes. Uh, couple, several of those were people kind of retaking kind of multiple glasses. So I did a bright spot, which is a technique that I'm going to be using with some kind of base later in the year, I think, using a neutral kind of main color and then doing a masking technique on the skein involving kind of tying some of it off and putting it inside a, I actually use just one of the vinyl gloves that I use in my studio. Uh, to keep a one section very, very pure and bright. I actually use neon dyes for this. So you end up with a really bright kind of splash on the skein, which I think looks really cool. The second technique I taught was the uh, consistent kettles. This is the technique that I use for uh, dyeing twisted branch. And I kind of designed it to do semi-solid to kind of tonal kettles where it's a partially uh, hand painting technique where I add kind of the, the contrast colors over the the main undyed yarn and then uh, immerse the skein um, and that uses that's kind of a more theoretical class it's a more kind of theory based class than I've taught before and we talk a lot about color theory and how to choose and, and pick your background kind of colors that go under the main color to modulize it, to change the colors kind of up and down and give you some depth there. So that was really fun. Uh, the students I had for that, I think I, I blew their mind a little bit, especially the two who took all three of my classes. So they, they were glad to have a lunch break after that one. Um, and then the final class that I taught was the dip and speckle technique. Uh, 
Um, so as I said, I'm designing the colorways for this and they actually got to play, they got to pick the bases that I use in my studio to do their techniques on. And I was teaching them, uh, they had the option to pick the new silk noil base that I'm going to be doing the uh, dip and speckle technique on. So a couple of them chose that base and got dip and speckle colorways before they'll be available to the general public. <laughs> So Were you fun. inspired by any of their color choices? Will those will those feature in the ones that you're making? Or did you um, already have your mind made up on what you were doing? I kind of had my mind made up. Um, the the one that I would have picked is actually... The one that, that I would have picked was the example one that I did to show people the technique for the class. Um, I was nice to see that colorway on the actual base because they asked me to help them actually replicate it exactly. So the colorway that I wanted to do uh, as one of the ones I've been designing looks great on the base, so we'll be doing that. Lovely. <laughs> um, there, was, there was one that I really liked where the, the student, she, she had some issues where when she put the speckles on and then she did her dip bath, some of the moisture, uh, she managed to angle it in such a way that the moisture kind of ran down onto the speckles. And it was it was basically just plain water as the dye had been absorbed into the yarn the way it was dripping, but it actually smudged all of her speckles. But when it came out, it looked really cool. And she basically did um, every neon color I have as a speckle and then a neutral gray as the last kind of color dip. And when those kind of speckles kind of ran into each other a little bit and made more kind of splodges, it still looked really cool. I really like that. It way. sounds cool. I like brights and then a neutral to kind of chill it out a little bit. So an adaptation of that colorway might make it into my um, into my set. That was close to one I was thinking of doing anyway. So yeah, sure, sure. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really, that's the look I really like anyway. It was a similar color palette to the scheme I talked about in the last episode. Uh, that was the the colorway called Bravery for the Kickstarter back. You just said dye whatever you want. So she picked a similar color palette. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was good fun. I always enjoy teaching. It's it's a long day. I did three two hour classes, uh, almost back to back. Um, I had about an hour break at lunch, but I was kind of clean cleaning up from the first two classes, and then setting up uh, for the last one. So that's that's a long day. It's it's always good fun. I feel a little bit kind of pooped after the end of it. Um, of course, uh, sent out all the Kickstarter mailings this week. So after we got the yarn processed, there's a lot of putting kits together and addressing them and everything. Um, and finally labeling up all of those customs gains as well, sending those out to people. So that was, um, that was kind of fun. It's, it's fun to kind of see what people have picked, especially names that you recognize as our uh, regular customers or customers we know as uh, listeners who contacted us um, to kind of see what they uh, chose um, and also to see what some of the custom skeins uh, chosen were that, and what the kind of standard skeins people chose with those. It was interesting to see a lot of people had picked their picture was had very similar colors in it to the colors they'd chosen for their uh, standard kit color. I have started to notice more and more on the truck when people are ready to check out with their yarns, almost 100% of the time they match what they're wearing. 
Um, it's it is amazing to me. Uh, I and I I don't think they're picking things to make with the outfit they're wearing or anything. I think people just have such strong color preferences. Uh, that even if you don't think of yourself as somebody who has favorite colors or colors that you always wear, I think most of us really do. Um, I feel like as I started to notice that, I'm now paying more attention to it, and it just feels like 100% of the yarn people buy matches the, the shirt or the bag or the pants or the shoes or something that they're wearing. And I, I always say, like, when people are saying, oh, well, I think I should pick another to, color to be out of my comfort zone, if you're making a piece for you, don't make something in the colour you're not going to wear. Even if you think it's pretty, you, you never wear that colour. Just don't leave it on the shelf or leave it in your closet. Go and get a colour that you know you're going to wear and, and you like. It doesn't matter if it's a colour you wear all the time. You know you're going to wear it then. Um, in my painting studio this week, um, I've been doing a lot of building of uh, models to kind of get on with some projects that are coming later in the summer. Um, I've got three armies that need to be done basically in time for Gen Con, so about eight weeks away. So I'm working on building those up and getting those prepared and painting a few other models I've got to finish in between. So not really a lot of kind of interesting progress to see there. A couple of kind of last units of um, the Song of Ice and Fire stuff that I'm painting for someone that I'm kind of batching out that are kind of dull, but they're nearly done. Um, so yeah, a bit more kind of tidying. We're doing lots of tidying around the house. Um, have I cooked anything interesting this week? I made bread dough again. Um, so we got bread dough back up and running and I cleaned our fryer. So there's all kinds of uh, fantastic bread. starchy, uh, fatty things coming out of the kitchen, which is probably not great for the waistline, but it's good that we've been, it's been a busy week for just being out on the truck and for doing Kickstarter stuff. and. Um, it's it's nice at the end of the day to be able to have fried pepperoni sticks, um, and I made some calzone as well. Um, so yeah, it's been a it's been a very kind of Mediterranean um, inspired junk food week. <laughs> um, uh, we did make a stop at the international grocery store um, in Indianapolis yesterday, and we picked up uh, garlic stuffed olives in a, like a 20 gallon vat. <laughs> this is a ludicrously large sized jar of garlic stuffed olives. I think it was a quart sized jar. Um, and hummus and feta and pita breads and stuff. I'm not sure exactly where, oh, we ate the other week at a, um, at a Turkish restaurant, and I think that, like, jump-started our... We remembered how much our kids like that kind of food, um, and we we were uh, hitting, like, picky three-and-a-half-year-old eating, um, and so when Poppy will happily eat everything on her plate, like, you you embrace that and, and pick that again. <laughs> it's not very normal kind of picky three-and-a-half-year-old eating. She will want... She'll tell me she wants to eat pickles and olives and she wants falafel, so she's not, she's not really in the kind of I want chicken nuggets and mashed potatoes kind of phase. <laughs> She has very specific requirements. Um, what really kicks out of it when I walked into the international market was a giant display of frozen pita breads um, right next to a, a big fridge full of feta, which I decided needed to come home with this. I also got soba noodles, which I've never, the Japanese style buckwheat noodles, which I have never cooked before and possibly never eaten before. Um, so stay tuned. We may do an in the kitchen uh, sometime soon where I talk about learning to cook new noodles. And we got to eat our favorite tacos from the from the taqueria there and go to the Mexican bakery, which is 
the highlight. <laughs> Two of my favorite things. We it's fairly close to the children's museum, so we take the kids to the children's museum, and then we go to the international market because Dave and I like it. So we we all get something we like. So Dave, why don't you talk about your splashing in colorful puddles that you have done for our brand new sock yarn? So we've snuck in a special uh, episode about our Afterthought Everything Socks. That's what we're really going to be talking about for basically every segment. Um, so the um, I wanted to talk about dyeing that specific yarn and the base uh, that we chose and the colour kind of patterns that I chose to do, how I did those. So this yarn, uh, we're calling it Panda Stomp um, because that's stinking cute, honestly. Um, it's a superwash merino and bamboo source viscose. So the viscose will act kind of like nylon, give it some reinforcement, but it's also a very highly processed uh, cellulose fiber, so it's very shiny. Um, so these socks, when you've finished um, the piece, actually have a slight kind of iridescent sheen to them, which is, it really shows off the colors really well. Um, and Erica, what was it like to knit with? I really liked it. Um, I have, I've certainly knit with bamboo before, but I've not ever knit with a bamboo wool blend. Um, and it kind of gives you the best of both worlds. A hundred percent bamboo or bamboo mixed with a plant fiber, like a cotton can be a little splitty and can be a little, there's no stretch in any of that. And so it can be a little hard on your hands if you knit with it for long, long hours at a time without a break which is how I tend to knit. Um, so blending it with the wool in this yarn counteracted both of those things. Um, I did not find this to be a splitty yarn to work with. Um, I also liked the needles that I was using. Um, we got uh, custom needles done to have in the kits that we're doing and they're a little bit they're 2.25 millimeter needles um, and I liked the gauge that I got on that but they're not incredibly pointy which is actually a benefit when you are working with a fiber blend that might be prone to split the pointier your needles are the more likely you are to stab in the middle of the strand of yarn and separate the strands out um, so having slightly duller needles um, actually made it made it even easier to work with so I liked it a lot the wool gives it a little bit of give so it doesn't hurt your hands um, and the wool also helps it adhere all together so I didn't have um, that plus the the slightly less pointy needles meant I didn't have any um, any splitting issues and I liked the way it felt the fabric that it made was nice I've heard from several people who've received the kits that they're enjoying uh, working with the yarn and it's really soft and shiny so it's, it seems to be a hit so far, um, but it does take the color really well, still because it's mostly wool. Um, so it's it's a blend that I like to dye. Um, so how does that work? Because the acidizer for protein fibers, did the... Yes, it only dyes the uh, wool. Um, now, when you get, this is uh, around 30% viscose which doesn't really make that much difference to the color, especially as uh, viscose is almost kind of clear. Um, it's very highly processed cellulose. It's it's very fine um, and it's kind of white to, to clear. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't really affect the color very much in that percentage. Once you get to kind of 40, 50% or more, it's really going to start to affect the color a lot more. I thought this was 60, 40. That this is 60 wool, 40 bamboo. I think it's 70, 30. Okay, we'll look it up. 
<laughs> um, the percentage is that it hasn't really affected the color that much. Um, and when you so, look at it, it certainly doesn't look like 30 or 40 percent of the yarn is undyed. Um, but also the um, it depends on kind of the way that it's blended too. This was like all the fibers are blended together in each of the plies. Uh, if you had the plies separate where one was uh, viscose and one was wool, you wouldn't dye the, the viscose ply at all. Uh, so it would give you a very different look. Um, and it, the colors are slightly more desaturated than they would be on 100% wool, but um, the, the iridescence almost kind of makes up for that um, to make them really stand out. So the technique I used for this is it's kind of a it's kind of a speckle it's kind of not it's kind of a, a kind of splattery kind of streaky effect that uses the speckle technique um but i apply the dye in a very slightly different way um and and set it in a um in a slightly different way um so for these skeins i soaked my skeins in acidulated water same as normal so it's water plus white vinegar like water, you buy in the store? Yeah, water plus vinegar, you just put a splash in. I always tell my students you have to be very accurate with it, and then I just pour a bit in and say that'll do. Um, basically, the we're, we're making sure there's enough acid in there. Now, for these skeins, as I say, I normally do that. I actually added a lot more vinegar into the soaking water. Um, so... The way that I'm applying the dye is kind of a dry uh, technique. Um, so we need to make sure we get lots of acid into the skein because I'm not adding acid yet, any. I'm not adding any acid in with the dye. So um, normally you would mix up your dye with acid. Um, so to turn the powder dye, you'd add water plus vinegar exactly. to make a solution with the dye. But this time you were using just the powder, and so there was no extra acid in with it. Yeah. Um, so I actually added for this. I'm soaking the skeins not for very long because um, I don't want the, the water to necessarily penetrate all the way in between all the fibers because of the technique that I'm doing. But I was actually using up to about 25 to 30% vinegar in the soaking solution. Um, so it was pretty darn acidic. Um, that's, that's a weird thing to do and it's only for the specific technique. You normally don't need that much. You normally just need to bump it kind of the acidic side of neutral. But I really want to make sure my dyes set very well. <laughs> um, so with this, I put the skeins in, let them soak for just a couple of minutes until they're basically surface wet and it stops beading off the yarn. Pull the skein out, wring out most of the moisture, but leave it a little bit damper than I would do for a regular speckle technique. So for a speckle, to get kind of speckles and splatters and for your dyes not to bleed together too much, you need to keep your yarn pretty dry. Um, you need enough water that the dyes are going to dissolve and have some acid there um, in solution to be able to react, but you don't want it so wet that your dyes move about all over the place. With this technique, I kind of wanted them to move a little bit so the speckles weren't distinct tiny dots in the same way as they are with a, with a true speckle, but I didn't want them to kind of whoosh everywhere and leave the skein really, really wet. So there was kind of a, it's almost like a, a by feel. Uh, kind of thing, um, but once you once you once you've worked with dyeing yarn a lot, you really get that idea of of how wet you need things to be for certain techniques. Um, so for the speckling, I mixed up um, really pretty concentrated speckles for this. So I used a full half ounce jar of dye with three ounces of salt. 
Um, so that's like a one in six ratio. For most speckles, and the speckles I'll be doing for my um, true speckles, I'm gonna start dyeing this afternoon, you'll use between a one in 10 and a one in 20 ratio. So this is a lot more concentrated uh, dye powder. Then- And why do you use salt? Um, so salt is, it's, it's pretty neutral when you're dying with it. So it does actually help um, kind of expand the, the fibers of yarn and fibers in the yarn apart and help the dye penetrate a little bit more, but not, it, it doesn't have that big an effect. Um, so you can use it basically instead of water to, to dilute things. Uh, so if I want to dilute the, the dye as a solid rather than as a liquid, it's a pretty inert kind of compound to add in there that doesn't leave any residue once it's washed out. So as opposed to like cornstarch or sand or something. Yeah, those make a huge mess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so use salt because it's easy to, it does have a, a slightly positive effect and it's, it's easy to wash out. Um, so that's, think of it like solid water basically, uh, is what you're using it for. Um, and then instead of mixing these dyes in a salt shaker, which will give me very distinct um, speckles and spots, I mix them in a restaurant cheese shaker, um, which has a much wider opening. So when you dust the dye across, you actually get a lot kind of, the, it spreads out in a slightly different way. The holes are way big holes compared bigger, to yeah. salt shakers. Um, it's like what you put Parmesan cheese on a pizza with. It's, I mean, you, I feel like you made it sound like it was something fancy. Well, it's a restaurant cheese shaker. That's what's called. <laughs> <laughs> when I ordered them, they were literally called restaurant cheese shakers. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry for the technical jargon. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I think you mumbled or looked down or something, and I didn't hear that you said the word cheese. I heard you say a word that I didn't recognize, which is why it sounded fancy to me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we might cut that part out. <laughs> Go ahead. So I took my uh, food retail and preparation establishment um, uh, milk solid distribution device, <laughs> added in my three ounces of sodium chloride and my uh, salt of chromophores, um, <laughs> and mixed that all up with a stick. Um, and then, um, so you... You need to you need to mix these dyes in for quite a while uh, with the salt. You're going to be stirring for a couple of minutes to really make sure that dye is distributed well in the salt. Um, otherwise, basically the dye powder is really fine compared to the size of the salt grains, and it it wants to kind of sink and settle to the bottom. Um, so you have to really kind of give it a good a good stir up, and then uh, lay out your skein. I have some. Uh, basically sheet pans uh, that I use for dyeing my skeins on. So you have to, there's a, there's a bit of kind of guesswork with, with this kind of dyeing. Um, it's difficult to measure everything kind of in exactly the same way because you're, you're dusting kind of the, the dyes on. So a lot of it is done by eye um, more than it is with other techniques, um, but you, you can still get it pretty consistent. Um, so I laid the skein out, try and kind of spread it out as much as possible. And then each of these colors was at least uh, three different dyes. Uh, so holding the shaker kind of a few inches above, I lightly dust uh, the first color on, flip the skein over, 
lightly dust the other side and then kind of swish it around in the um, in the salt that's on the um, the tray just to make sure I kind of get the inner kind of uh, strands of yarn because those sometimes take a little while to hit. Do the same with the second colour, the same with the third colour. Um, and with this, because the, the dye spots are fairly small, you don't really need to see a lot of dye colour actually appear on the skein um, because that's going to really sort of bloom when you set it. Um, and then take those skeins and set them in a steamer. Um, so although I want the, um, the points of dye to spread out a little bit and give me more of a kind of splatter half speckle effect, um, I don't want them to really kind of blend and move together. Now, if you set yarns in the microwave, um, which is a very fast and effective way of doing it, that creates a lot of steam and condensation in the, uh, the bag or sealed container that you're setting the skein in to get enough heat in. What that does is it moves the water around a lot. Uh, so what happens is those speckles will really kind of bleed into each other um, and be less distinct. So setting them in a steamer will basically keep the speckles um, almost exactly where you put them. Um, what's going to move the um, the dyes around is uh, kind of as the steam comes through, it helps to dissolve the, the dyes a little bit more. Um, so they almost kind of penetrate the yarn where they are, um, which gives you the really distinct uh, kind of dye patches that remain on the yarn when they're when they're cooked. Um, so yeah, take let those steam for about half an hour, take them out, give them a good old rinse, um, and then those skeins are complete. So these colorways had a, a fair amount of kind of white or uh, kind of pastel shades of the colors in as the uh, kind of where the edges of those patches of dye were, um, and then fading into really kind of concentrated spots of the same color. It was a neat, it's a, it is an unusual looking yarn. It's not, um, I, with a kettle dyed or a semi-solid or a stripe um, or a hand painted, there are commercial yarns that it's like, oh, it looked like, I can tell that this is the same kind of a technique. Um, it looks like a Malabrigo or a Nora or a, a this or a that. Um, this style of dye is not one that I could name a commercial uh, or like a more widely available uh, yarn that is dyed like this. Um, it's, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it looks pretty wild. Yep, it's a kettle-y, hand-painty, speckly combo. Um, the Malabrigo Machida is that we have in the speckled colors is probably going to be the closest, um, but it, it's, it's not the same. There's only one that I think that looks really close um, that didn't come in very many colors. Um, I don't think depth as much. It was that, um, it was the Universal Cotton, whatever it was called, we had for a little while. Oh, Sea like, Spray. Yeah, the Con uh, Deluxe Sea Spray. Um, they kind of had a little bit of a, oh, the same Yeah, sort of I didn't think it. that looked similar, but that's fine. It doesn't matter. You weren't trying to make it look like <laughs> something else. Um. Um, so for this, uh, I produced uh, eight colors. There were six bright uh, colors that were almost sort of pure shades. So there was a purple, a bright uh, blue, which is the one that Erica made the sample from a kind of oranges to yellows, a red, a really bright green, and a uh, bright crazy pink, and then a greys and blacks colorway to go with them. And then just because I wanted to be really wild, I did a rainbow um, where I actually took the skein and speckled it with different colors 
in progression all the way down the scale. And those were the colors that were featured in the other yarn, so it really coordinates uh, if you want to put them together. Um, and the gray and the rainbow were by far the most popular ones um, to the point where we have zero skeins of those uh, left. I was going to say, I don't think I ever kit. even saw a gray one. <laughs> <laughs> He dyed them and packaged them up, and I drove them to the post office without ever laying eyes on them. So if you got a gray one, send me a picture. <laughs> I think I have one. My example's going down the studio. So I, I think you saw it months ago when we first died and we picked the colors out. Um, so uh, that's what I'm going to have to do today is uh, dyeing a bunch more of the rainbow. Uh, I didn't really think about it, but we kind of released this rainbow colored skein at the start of Pride Month. Um, so I think that might be why people are especially wanting that one right now. So I need to go down to the studio and dye some more rainbows. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun, uh, fun way of producing an unusual looking one. Absolutely. So Erica, do you want to carry on the theme? I surely do. So the Witty Knits and the Sponsored Pattern mashup, um, I just want to talk a little bit about what I used this yarn for. Um, so this, again, is our Panda Stomp that Dave dyed, and it is a sock yarn. Um, you can certainly use it for things other than socks. I think it would make great kid sweaters. Someday I will be making my kid sweaters out of sock yarn because it's going to wear well. There are a million awesome uh, shawl and scarf patterns for skeins of sock yarns. Um, and grown-up sweaters could be very cool out of it as well, uh, but I made socks. Um, we are trying with each of our newly released hand-dyed yarns to have a pattern um, and a kit that comes out at the same time as them. And so this one, I am re-releasing our most popular pattern of all time is at least pay for pattern of all time, um, the Afterthought Everything sock. And so this is an unusual construction style for socks. You cast on the cuff of one sock, so you cast on your 60 stitches or however many. The pattern comes in, I think, five different sizes. Um, and you knit the cuff of one sock. You put in waist yarn where you will be going back to put in the heel of your sock when you've finished everything else. Um, that's why they're called afterthought, um, because you do them after you finish the knitting. So you do a cuff, you put in yarn for an afterthought heel, you keep going making a long tube, and that will be the foot of your first sock. You put in waist yarn right in the middle of this giant tube, and that is where you will be separating your socks. You'll take the waist yarn out and put a toe where the toe belongs on your first sock. And then you carry right on down doing the same long, long tube and do the foot of your second sock. You put in the waist yarn where the heel for your second sock will go. You keep on doing your giant long tube and do the cuff of your second sock and bind off. Um, so you end up with a tube of yarn that's like four feet long <laughs> um, that is both of your socks stuck together. Um, you bind off and then you are going to unlace the waist yarn, put the lie stitches back on your needle and knit the toes on each sock um, and then unlace the yarn for the heels and put the heels in and then you're done. Uh, so this kind of gets around the second sock syndrome where you knit one sock and then you never go back and make the other one. Um, but it does not not necessitate knitting two socks at a time on having both socks at the same time on your needles, which involves a lot of if you're doing magic loop or are working on two circulars, you're pulling and tugging on your
your needles a lot to make that happen and juggling two different balls of yarn. So this gets around that issue. I felt incredibly clever when I came up with the idea. Um, I still feel like I had heard somebody else talking about it before I did it, but I can't find who that person may have been. Um, so I'll claim that I came up with it on my, um, on my own. And we do a pico cast on and a pico bind off so that the cuffs have the, the, the little picos, the little um, nibbly nobblies that go around as an added decorative feature. But also picos, a pico cast on and bind off are very stretchy. So you don't get the issue of your socks cutting into you at your calves where your cast on and bind off may be a little bit tight. Uh, it's a fun project to work on. Um, I need... Mm, projects that I don't have to use a lot of brain cells to do, and this was one of those. Um, the cast on, if you've never done a Pico cast on before, I'd spend 10 minutes in the quiet to get the cast on going, but once you've got those stitches cast on, you are just knitting around in a circle forever, um, and I am very into that these days. <laughs> I need some time to recoup where I don't have to think too hard or stare at a pattern forever and ever um, where I can just knit, um, and I really like that about this pattern. Um, so that is the pattern that is included in our Afterthought Everything Sock Kits that also include a skein of this yarn that Dave did in all of the colors that we still have. Um, and he is working hard to get the ones that we have sold out on um, made up again. Um, and the kit also includes the set of double pointed needles. They are wood needles, 2.25 millimeters, which is a US size. US size one. Or one and a half. I think it depends on it. When you get down to the little sizes, it kind of depends on what company you're looking at as to what, um, what size, uh, what US size they call that. But it's a 2.25 millimeter and they are not incredibly pointy. And I think that works well um, for thin yarns in general, but especially when you start putting some plant fiber in there that likes to be a little, that can be a little bit splitty. Um, we do package these up in reused empty tennis ball tubes that come from our local racket club. They are uh, kind enough to save those for us when they get empty ones and we pick them up in batches of 50 at a time. Um, we Sustainable packaging is something that's really important to us um, and going out onto the truck instead of being a brick and mortar shop kind of gave us an opportunity to re, um, redo and rethink some things to be able to really um, try to reuse as much as possible and not purchase new, especially plastics, um, but uh, instead to use something an extra time before it gets sent to the landfill eventually. Uh, so that is that is why they come in tennis ball tubes. And when we mail them out, you can actually mail tennis ball tubes exactly as they are. So we stick a mailing label on them and the tennis ball tube is what will come into your mailbox. <laughs> There is a disclaimer on that, that we're currently very, very short on tennis ball tubes after using a bunch, and uh, we're waiting for more to come through from the uh, the racket club. So maybe package it something else reused if you get one mailed out right now. In the um, next in the next few weeks, although I think they've got a, a big box for us. So uh, we, we've got, I think we have five tennis ball tube kits left, <laughs> um, but there will, we, we have other options. We're getting more. As fast as people are playing tennis, we're getting more. <laughs>
<laughs> so play more tennis, people. <laughs> okay, and then how are we sponsoring the pattern this week? This week, the sponsored pattern, if you want just the pattern, um, we do have eight video tutorials that are linked in with this pattern. Um, it is a four-page pattern. Uh, it, the pattern itself has all of the information. If you're not a video watcher, um, you do not need the videos. Um, the pattern has all of the information that you need to make the socks. But if you get stuck on any part of it, um, especially with the unusual techniques of putting in waste yarn and then taking it out again, um, and and picking up stitches in the corner so you don't have holes at your heels. Uh, I do have videos for all of the parts that having taught <laughs> taught classes and answered pattern questions for the nine years that we were a brick and mortar shop, um, I know what parts of patterns throw people off. Uh, so I try to do little um, five to ten minute videos and there are eight of those linked into the pattern. Um, that pattern is available on Ravelry um, along with more than a hundred other of my original designs um, and we will link to that in the show notes, um, or you can just search for Afterthought Everything Socks. Um, if you use the coupon code socket to me you will get that pattern half price. Um, it is a $5 pattern, so if you use sock it to me, and there will be spaces, um, you get uh, you get that pattern half price. If we really sold you on how cool the yarn and the whole kit is, um, we do have this up for sale on our online store, just the yarn itself, or the yarn packaged up in the kit, including the needles and the four page printed copy of the pattern. All of our hard copy patterns also come with a free digital download code, so you can get a digital copy as well. Um, I know a lot of people prefer to work from digital or prefer to have the assurance if you lose the hard copy, you can get a digital copy. Um, and the hard copies have an easy to enter bit.ly address on them that will take you to the playlist that has all eight videos, so you don't have to enter incredibly long YouTube um, URLs uh, to get to your videos. Um, we are doing a dollar off the yarn. So the yarn um, Panda Stomp is a $25 skein. We are doing it for $24 this week only, or $2 off if you want to get the kit. The kit is a $30 kit, um, and you can get it for $28 this week. So this week only, June, the week starting June 10th, so June 10th to the 17th, um, get in there and order. And this is a four ounce skein of sock count, so it's slightly bigger than the regular skein. Yep, a hundred gram skein is a sort of normal skein of yarn. Um, a a hundred gram is three and a half ounces. So the four ounce skein, what is the yardage on that? Uh, 490 yards, I believe. Okay, so almost 500 yards of, of a sock yarn. Um, yeah, there was quite a bit left over when I finished the um, the large adult pair of, of these socks, so probably enough to do a pair of socks for both of my toddlers, um, which is my ultimate plan for the rest of that yarn. Ten years from now, it will be done. <laughs> We are, just to make it extra fun, if you are on our website ordering this, um, we are actually doing the same discount for all of our hand dye journeys and all of the kits that go with those. Um, so you can get a dollar off our Sealux, which is a silk wool sea cell, which comes from seaweed, uh, blend yarn. Um, it's a $22 ball of yarn. You get a dollar off that. Um, and that is the last uh, few skeins of that run. So the, the mill had stopped making this base and I bought them out because I loved it so much. Um, so this is limited edition. There will be no more Sea Lux once the Sea Lux is gone. 
um, and Twisted Branch, which is our 100% wool um, with the interesting uh, barber pole effect with the colors there, and that comes in 12 colors. Um, it is a $20 skein. Again, four ounces. It's 280 yards. Um, of 280 yards of 100% superwash merino. And we're doing a dollar off that, as well as the Learn to Knit kit, $2 off that one. It's a $40 kit um, normally. Um, so check out everything we've got uh, up for sale of our hand-dyed yarns and kits. Uh, everything is going to be on sale for this week only uh, to celebrate our finally getting our Afterthought Everything socks out um, and up on the truck. And there is no coupon code required for that. That will just be a flat sale on our website this week. So all of those prices will be adjusted when you look at them. And that is store.nomadyarnshop.com. Or you can just go to nomadyarnshop.com and there's giant buttons that say buy online. And last but not least, where's Nomad's going to be this week, Dave? We are going far and wide for the next couple of weeks. So we've had a, a lot of um, trips out this week. Um, next week, or this coming week, is a little bit lighter. We're spread all about. So we'll be at the Sky Zone Ladies Night tonight, um, which is a trampoline park. Um, in Plainfield. In Plainfield. Um, so yeah, come and see them at that Plainfield location, 6 till 8 p.m. That does require a ticket, but I think you can book those pretty much right up to the minute that it starts. Uh, they'll have some other vendors there. You get a... Um, a fitness session is included, there's a DJ, there's snacks, and we'll be there with the yarn track all evening, so that sounds like good fun. And we love jumping up and down on the trampoline park. They do a toddler time on Friday and Saturday mornings, and I highly recommend it's it's fun. Yeah, wear your exercise clothes, though. <laughs> yes, very sweaty. Um, and then uh, we're going to be in Plainfield again, uh, Wednesday the 12th, uh, 4 till 7 p.m. at the Plainfield Farmer's Market, just exactly across the street from where the uh, the brick and mortar used to be. So come and see us there with the truck. Um, that's a great farmer's market and it's growing every year. So we really love being there. And it will probably be one of the last times that you can see the building that the shop used to be in. I think that demolition is slated to start one week from today. Um, somewhere around there. I think the last uh, the last planning meeting is uh, like on the 17th. So um, they're going to be knocking down buildings very, very soon after that. Um, then we have... Um, Erica's going to be doing a couple of things. There's actually a mending class at Recraft, which we're not going to have the truck for, but go and see Erica um, on Thursday evening um, for a visible mending class. Um, Saturday the 15th, we'll have the truck out again at the Indiana Artisan, uh, the Indiana Handicraft Exchange um, at the Harrison Arts Center in downtown Indianapolis. Um, go and check that out. It's a really cool event. It's a it's a big event. There's lots of different artisans with everything from crafts to foods, um, all kinds of stuff. A lot of the artists have their studios open. There's live music. There's food trucks. Uh, we'll be outside there in the middle of it. So come along to that. Um, they do a summer and a winter one, and they're always really cool. Um, Monday the seventeenth, we will be at the East Side Marketplace, uh, the East Side Market Space. Um, which is a fairly new uh, farmer's market and kind of artisan market in Irvington. Uh, which so is near, near east side of Indianapolis. Yeah, the near east side. Um, Tuesday the 18th, um, we will be at the Scrap Basket Quilt Guild. I'll be giving a talk about dyeing yarn and um, fabrics. Um, and that is, uh, the venue has just been moved to um, a church in... Avon, who was going to be in Brownsburg, um, 
you can come along to the Quilt Guild as a guest, um, and you can um, you can just come along and shop by the truck and not go into the meeting if you want. Um, so we'll have uh, the full address and details for that on the next podcast, because I need to look it up. Um, Thursday the 20th, um, f- from 2 to 6 p.m., we will be at Cabin Coffee in Avon. That's just opened. Woohoo! We um, went in and got coffee there. It was very good. Yeah, great coffee. Uh, great kind of newly... Uh, is it a new building or is it a refurbished building? I'm not sure. There used to be a building where it is located, but the building was wildly different. So I don't know if they tore it down and rebuilt a new one or if they wildly refurbished the one that was there. It used to be a Culver's ice cream. Not Culver's. It was a something ice it cream. It was a something ice cream. Um, but that had been closed down for some time. So the cabin coffee that is there now, it's a cute new place. I've heard some of our customers like it already. Um, Friday the 21st, um, we'll, we still have to do our final confirmation for this, but we should be in Rockville, Indiana for their third Friday event. Um, so again, listen to the next podcast. We should, we should be there. Uh, Saturday the 22nd, we will be at uh, the IU campus up in Kokomo for their uh, yearly campus stroll. Um, And then the last one um, that I'm going to talk about for now, um, Monday the 24th, we are uh, planning to be at Cup and Kettle down in Bloomington. Um, we'll do we'll do IU twice one one the Kokomo campus and one <laughs> so we've got some final things to sort out there we're hoping to teach a workshop as well so stay tuned for some more information on those events for the next couple of weeks but come and see us in Plainfield and in Indianapolis uh, between now and Saturday thanks for listening find us on Facebook Instagram Ravelry and our website knowmyjarchup.com and remember in crafting and in life if you're having fun you're doing it right